0: God, I bring you greetings from the church in Bulgaria. Um, this morning we read from Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. Um, or did we read from it? I don't know. <laughs> if so, I'll read it again. No. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under any people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus teaches his disciples how to live in the kingdom of heaven. In this sermon, Jesus teaches us the true intent of the Old Testament law and how he has come not to abolish anything written in it, but to fulfill it through his life, death, and resurrection. Right before this passage, we find the Beatitudes. In these blessings, Jesus teaches us that in the kingdom of God, those who are weak by the world's standards are blessed because they wait on God to bless them instead of looking out for their own good through sin and violence. According to Matthew 5:10 through 12, even if God's people suffer because of Christ, it's worth it because he is very generous to those who depend on him. In response to the incredible blessings of the beatitudes, we are called to fulfill a very important job here on earth, which we find in Matthew 5:13 through 16, to be salt and to be light. This job might be dangerous, except that we are already blessed in God the Father. And we will be even more blessed if we suffer because of our calling. Therefore, we have nothing to be afraid of. Maybe it's easier to hide our identities in Christ in order to avoid suffering and persecution. But then we will not be obeying our calling as Christians. And what is that calling? According to this passage, we are called to live as Christians so that God the Father will be glorified. We are called to live as Christians so that God the Father will be glorified. Jesus uses two metaphors to describe our calling. And they'll form our two main points this morning. We act like salt of the earth by showing the earth what God is like. And we enlighten the world as we live in the lights. Let's talk about this first metaphor. We act like salt of the earth by showing the earth what God is like. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus tells his followers that they are the salt of the earth. What does this mean? In the Old Testament, salt sometimes symbolized hospitality and friendship. Because when a generous host invited friends to eat with him, he always had plenty of salt so that people can season their food. God sometimes used that symbol of salt to show how, generous, how his people how generous he is and how they should be generous too. This generosity is shown principally in the Old Testament by the covenant that God made with his people when he freed them from Egyptian slavery and led them to the promised land. In this covenant, God provided everything his people needed to live well and in obedience to him. In response to this continual care, God's people were told to sacrifice some of their crops and animals to him. According to Leviticus 2.15, they were supposed to season every sacrifice of grain with the salt of their covenant with God. This salt was there, that they included was a special way of saying, to God, from us, with love. Part of these sacrifices were burnt up as an offering to God, but a big part of it went to the priest, because according to Numbers 18-19, God had made a covenant of salt with them to take care of them forever through the offerings of his people. And this salt that the people had added earlier was God's special way of saying, to the priest, with love, from God. So the salt of the covenant, which people had added to their offerings, was not just for God, but for the priests. Do you see how the system worked? God provided food for his people. The people gave some of their food to the Lord and to the priests. And the priests received the food as if it came from God himself. So when the priests ate the offerings and tasted the salt of the covenant, which the people had added, This would remind them that God cared for them. The salt showed them that the Lord was generous and hospitable. He served tasty food at his table, and everyone who ate from it was blessed, and he was always ready to share it with his people. Every time the Israelites gave their offerings, they had to include this salt. The ushers just now passed the offering plate around. Imagine that for fifteen hundred years, every time that offering plate came around, you had to not only include money but a salt packet as well. It would have symbol—it would have been a symbol that people knew and understood. But Jesus took this symbol and transformed it by saying that his disciples were the salt of the covenant for the whole world. What does this mean? God made everything in the world, and he gave it to humans because he is generous and he is kind, even to his enemies. But people can't see God. We can only see the things he's made. If he doesn't introduce himself, we would not be able to know him at all. The primary way he introduces himself is through his church. We can show people through our proclamation of the gospel and our obedience to it that this world wasn't an accident. It was made and given to us by the Lord, who wants to be in a covenantal relationship with us. In response to this covenant, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has made a new covenant with everyone who believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior. In this covenant, he promises that he will forgive all of our sins and that he will bless us as his children forever. In response to this covenant, we are called to act like God and by showing the grace of God to everyone in this world as we love God and we love our neighbors. When we do this, we act like salt of the covenant because we show the watching world what the God who made all things is like. So in a way, we are God's special way of saying to the world with love from God. There will be people who see the way, how we live and hear the message that we proclaim and will taste the salt of the covenant and they will want to eat at the table of our generous Lord. They will repent and believe the gospel. And this is a glorious thing. And our Father who is in heaven will be glorified through their grateful worship. There will also be people who will taste the salt and they will reject the generosity of our Lord. They want the gifts of God, but they also want to continue living in rebellion against them. And if we are faithful to our calling as salt of the covenant, then there will be no excuse for them for continued rebellion. And this is grievous. But even so, God will receive glory if he has to judge them. Either way, through obedience to the gospel or through rejection of it, the Lord will receive glory if we are faithful to our calling. Jesus says in Matthew 5:13 that if the salt loses its flavor it becomes useless only good to be thrown out of the window. How is it possible for salt to lose its saltiness? If we don't obey Christ and we live as if we don't have any relationship to the Father, we will not present the character of our God to the world and we will be as useless as unsalted salt. No one will see the true God through us, and he will not be glorified through us. And if the church is cold, distant, mean, and useless, then people will think that the God of the church is cold, distant, mean, and useless. If that happens, we are acting like unsalted salt of the covenant, which means we are useless. Imagine this. A man prepares a delicious banquet with all sorts of wonderful food. But while he's making the food, his servant switches out a bowl of salt with sand, which gets added to the food. When the guests arrive, they are impressed by how good the food looks. But when they taste it, it is flavorless and gritty. What will the guests think of their hosts? They will think either he is a terrible cook or he is mocking them. Most likely, they will decline a second invitation to their home to his house. And if we don't live out our calling as the salt of the world and make it difficult for people to see how kind, gracious, patient and loving the Lord is, we are like that servant putting sand in the food of the Lord our God. The world will see, taste the sin and hypocrisy of the church without tasting the Lord's goodness. What will people th- th- think of the Lord when they taste such disgusting food? They will think he is a bland and ugly God who is unworthy of worship. Church, let this never be the case. Our Lord is a good cook. But if we have not been obedient to the Lord's command, what can we do? What will happen if, for example, we commit a scandalous sin or we do something awful? And what will happen if everyone sees our sin and mocks God and his church because of it? Will we immediately be tossed down onto the streets with no hope of restoration? Remember that covenant that we talked about earlier that we have with God through Jesus Christ? God didn't make this covenant because we were righteous and worthy of God's love, but because Christ Jesus was worthy and he was completely righteous. We have a relationship with God because of his grace. And it continues because of His grace. God is always ready to forgive us when we repent and believe in Him, as we said earlier in our confession of sin. We can't be the salt of the covenant by hiding our sins and pretending to be perfect. That's what useless sand does. God would not receive glory from that. We act like the salt of the covenant, the salt of the earth by loving our God and loving our neighbors, and by repenting when we fail to love. We don't lose our saltiness every time we sin. In fact, our saltiness is shown by our willingness to repent and believe the gospel when we sin against God and others. But we don't only act like salt of the earth. Jesus continues and teaches us that we enlighten the world as we live in the light. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus changes the metaphor and says that we are the light of the world. What does this mean? According to Isaiah 2.1-5, to be in the light is to live in obedience to God and to be experiencing his blessing. Whereas according to Deuteronomy 28.28, those who are disobedient to God experience darkness and suffer God's curse. The problem is that all humans have been disobedient to God. And so everyone is stumbling around in the dark, looking for hope in things that cannot save them. But God promised in Isaiah 9 that He himself will shine in the darkness, to save His people from their sin. He started to do this in Matthew chapter four, 16 through seven. I'll read 17. I'll read it for us. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region of shadow and death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In this verse, Matthew tells us that Jesus himself is the light which shines for people who are in the darkness of sin. He's shown in the darkness by preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And if we believe in that gospel and become disciples of Christ, he tells us in our passage this morning that we will shine with the light of Christ through our good works. One good work we do as Christians is evangelism. Let's talk about this for a second. I hardly know of a single Christian who reckons himself an effective evangelist. If Matthew five fourteen is true, and our light cannot be hidden... Why, is it, why does it feel like it's so hard to shine through evangelism? Is the problem that we are not smart enough, clever enough, or cool enough to be good evangelists? If we always said all the right words, always used the right methods, and had the answers to every question, would we save everyone we knew? Could we shine brighter if we invested all of our church budget on an aggressive marketing campaign? No. No. Sometimes when we think of evangelists, we think of one person standing on a street corner preaching the gospel, alone, a single hero, preaching for everybody, and all people coming to be saved through that one person's preaching. But that's not not necessarily the only model for biblical evangelism that we had. Each of us are individually lights, when one candle cannot brighten up a room by itself. We are lights together. We're a city on a hill, shining in the, up the whole world. Another thing, one of our problems is that we think, we think we have to be perfect hero evangelists before we can evangelize. We're never going to be perfect evangelists There is no argument that will convince any non believer. There is no method of evangelism with guaranteed results. Marketing principles do not apply here. We are not salesmen for the gospel. When Jesus said that our light can't be hidden, he doesn't mean that we'll be the smartest, cleverest, or best debaters in the world. We're not going to be superheroes. He doesn't mean that everyone we know will be saved by the power of our charisma. Shining with the light of Christ means much more than just winning an argument with a non believer or preaching a strong sermon on a street corner. Every believer can shine in the world, even if they aren't particularly cool, smart, or impressive. Every church can be a city on a hill, lighting up the whole region, even if it doesn't invest millions in marketing, even if it doesn't have one of those big, bright billboards shining up the whole region and bothering the neighbors at night. God never called his church to be the coolest place in town. He called us to be obedient to his gospel and to bear fruit of repentance. He wants us to shine with our whole life. And if we are faithful to the calling, he will save his people. So what does it mean to live in the light as people who know the Lord God and have been blessed by him? We find the answer in Ephesians chapter 4, 4 and 5. In this passage, Paul compares our former manner of life, with a, in which we are in the dark, to our new lives as light in the Lord. I'll read it for us. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 5, 2. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors for we are members one of another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's not behaving like um, according to Paul, being in the light is not being alone. Those are all things we do together. We are the light as we love each other. We love our neighbors and we love our God. If we live in the light, we'll be honest, even when the truth hurts us. We'll seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters when they sin against us. We will work hard so that we can be generous with what the Lord has given us. We will not slander, mock, or tear down with our words, but we will build each other up with our words and encourage each other towards good works. When we sin, we will repent. We will listen to the Holy Spirit's calling as he drives us back to Christ. And we will remember the gospel and seek to apply it to every aspect of our lives. A community that lived like this would be more attractive than one that spent $10 billion in marketing. That church would shine brighter than all of Greenville because they will shine with the eternal light of the Lord. Their energy would come through the power of the Holy Spirit. There will be people who see these good works and they will think that this is the most beautiful thing in the world and they will want to be in the light with us. The Lord will save them. And he will receive glory from their salvation. There will also be people who see these good works and they will hate them and hate us. Because they hate the light, which exposes evil. If they don't repent, the Lord will judge them. And they will be cursed forever. And even from that, our Father will be glorified. Because he will be proved to be the just God who fights evil. But if we strive to look exactly like everyone else, as if we are still in the darkness, and if we find our hope only in the things of this world, we are acting like we are still in the dark. If we gossip about our friends, we are acting like we are still in the dark. If we practice sexual immorality and tell sexually immoral jokes, we are acting like we are still in the dark. If we use our words to mock others and tear them down, we are acting like we are still in the dark. If we are bitter towards one another and show no grace, we are acting like we are still in the dark. If we deceive others and take advantage of them, we are acting like we are still in the dark. And if we deny Christ because we are afraid of the world, we are acting like we are still in the dark. Jesus teaches us that since no one lights a lamp and then hides the light, why would we try to do that with the light of Christ? How could we? Because even if our our light is hidden, how dark is the darkness of the world? It would be so dark that no one, not even ourselves, would be able to see our way to God the Father, and he wouldn't receive glory from us or the world. And so if you are living in the dark right now, you realize that you have been hiding your sin, hiding your light through sin and deception, and you want to see the light of the sun again, hear these words from Apostle, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians five thirteen through 14 When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Sin thrives in the dark. But if you confess your sins and believe the gospel, the light of Christ will invade your light, and it will drive out the darkness. Then those sins that you were so ashamed of will be cleansed from you. And even they, Those sins that you thought would destroy your life will show off how great and glorious is the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ will shine on you. And he'll make you into a light for the world. In conclusion, God didn't save his church so that we can hide in our closets until we die and go to heaven. That way of living would require no faith. It's easy to say that we believe in the gospel if our gospel doesn't require anything from us. But when God saved his church, he gave her an important mission. We are called to live in the world in a completely different way from the world in order to show the world what God is like and lead people to repentance and faith. That way of living requires faith. And if we live this way, we might lose our social standing. We might not get the jobs we want. We might not get the money we want. We might be persecuted. We might even be killed. Our response to these trials will show us whether or not we actually believe in the go- that the gospel is more precious than anything in this world. And when we strive to live in this way and fail the gospel can, will remind us that, his, that the grace of our Lord is greater than any sin we can commit and will lead us back to God. This morning we spoke of two metaphors that Jesus used to describe our lives as a Christian community. We act like salt of the earth by showing the earth what God is like and we enlighten the world as we live in the light. And if we do this, we will achieve our, calling, our goal in this world. That goal is that we are called to live as Christians so that God the Father will be glorified. If we preserve in our calling, persevere in our calling, one day we will see the true city on the hill. The city that God is building. The city that shines for the whole world with the light of the Lord himself. Revelation 21 and 22 describe this city. I'll read from Revelation 21. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the last seven, the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. From 22, verse 22. nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. If, you are writ- if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, if you belong to God, you will be welcomed into that city. And that sh- city will shine forever. So let's not lose our saltiness this morning. Let's not hide our light. We can persevere in this calling. Because Christ Jesus himself preserves us by his grace. And he shines upon us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending him to shine in our darkness. To preach the gospel for your kingdom, of your kingdom to live for us, to die for us, to rise again for us, and to call us to be a part of your church. Lord, I pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to live according to the calling that you have called us, to live in obedience to this gospel, to live in obedience to your Son. Lord, please give us courage to live in obedience even when the world hates us. Please persevere us to the end. And please allow us to step foot in your holy city when it descends on the world. Lord, we want to dwell in your presence forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.